Book Two, Sections Eleven and Twelve of Politics by Aristotle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer. Politics by Aristotle, translated by Benjamin Jowett. Book Two, Sections Eleven and Twelve. The Carthaginians are also considered to have an excellent form of government, which differs from that of any other state in several respects, though it is in some very like the Lacedaemonian. Indeed, all three states, the Lacedaemonian, the Cretan, and the Carthaginian, nearly resemble one another and are very different from any others. Many of the Carthaginian institutions are excellent. The superiority of their constitution is proved by the fact that the common people remain loyal to the constitution. The Carthaginians have never had any rebellion worth speaking of, and have never been under the rule of a tyrant. Among the points in which the Carthaginian constitution resembles the Lacedaemonian are the following. The common tables of the clubs answer to the Spartan Phidicia and their magistracy of the 104 to the Ephors. But whereas the Ephors are any chance persons, the magistrates of the Carthaginians are elected according to merit. This is an improvement. They have also their kings and their Jerusia, or council of elders, who correspond to the kings and elders of Sparta. Their kings, unlike the Spartan, are not always of the same family, nor that an ordinary one, but if there is some distinguished family they are selected out of it and not appointed by seniority. This is far better. Such officers have great power, and therefore, if they are persons of little worth, do a great deal of harm, and they have already done harm at Lacedaemon. Most of the defects or deviations from the perfect state, for which the Carthaginian constitution would be censored, apply equally to all the forms of government which we have mentioned. But of the deflections from aristocracy and constitutional government, some incline more to democracy, and some to oligarchy. The kings and elders, if unanimous, may determine whether they will or will not bring a matter before the people, but when they are not unanimous, the people decide on such matters as well. And whatever the kings and elders bring before the people is not only heard, but also determined by them, and any one who likes may oppose it. Now this is not permitted in Sparta and Crete. That the magistrates of five, who have under them many important matters, should be co-opted, that they should choose the Supreme Council of one hundred, and should hold office longer than other magistrates, for they are virtually rulers both before and after they hold office, these are oligarchical features, their being without salary and not elected by lot, and any similar points, such as the practice of having all suits tried by the magistrates, and not some by one class of judges or jurors, and some by another as at Lacedaemon, are characteristic of aristocracy. The Carthaginian constitution deviates from aristocracy and inclines to oligarchy, chiefly on a point where popular opinion is on their side. For men in general think that magistrates should be chosen not only for their merit, but for their wealth. A man, they say, who is poor cannot rule well, he has not the leisure. If, then, elections of magistrates for the wealth be characteristic of oligarchy, and election for merit of aristocracy, there will be a third form under which the constitution of Carthage is comprehended. For the Carthaginians choose their magistrates, and particularly the highest of them, their kings and generals, with an eye both to merit and to wealth.
but we must acknowledge that, in thus deviating from aristocracy, the legislator has committed an error. Nothing is more absolutely necessary than to provide that the highest class, not only when in office, but when out of office, should have leisure and not disgrace themselves in any way, and to this his attention should be first directed. Even if you must have regard to wealth, in order to secure leisure, yet it is surely a bad thing that the greatest offices, such as those of kings and generals, should be bought. The law which allows this abuse makes wealth of more account than virtue, and the whole state becomes avaricious. For, whenever the chiefs of the state deem anything honorable, the other citizens are sure to follow their example. And, where virtue has not the first place, their aristocracy cannot be firmly established. Those who have been at the expense of purchasing their places will be in the habit of repaying themselves, and it is absurd to suppose that a poor and honest man will be wanting to make gains, and that a lower stamp of man who has incurred a great expense will not. Wherefore they should rule who are able to rule best and even if the legislator does not care to protect the good from poverty, he should at any rate secure leisure for them when in office. It would seem also to be a bad principle that the same person should hold many offices, which is a favorite practice among the Carthaginians, for one business is better done by one man. The legislator should see to this, and should not appoint the same person to be a flute-player and a shoemaker. Hence, where the state is large, it is more in accordance with both constitutional and with democratic principles that the offices of state should be distributed among many persons. For, as I said, this arrangement is fairer to all, and any action familiarized by repetition is better and sooner performed. We have a proof in military and naval matters. The duties of command and of obedience in both these services extend to all. The government of the Carthaginians is oligarchical, but they successfully escape the evils of oligarchy by enriching one portion of the people after another by sending them to their colonies. This is their panacea, and the means by which they give stability to the state. Accident favors them, but the legislator should be able to provide against revolution without trusting to accidents. As things are, if any misfortune occurred and the bulk of the subjects revolted, there would be no way of restoring peace by legal methods. Such is the character of the Lacedaemonian, Cretan, and Carthaginian constitutions, which are justly celebrated. End of section 11《
of those who have treated of governments some have never taken any part at all in public affairs but have passed their lives in a private station about most of them what is worth telling has already been told others have been lawgivers either in their own or in foreign cities whose affairs they have administered and of these some have only made laws others have framed constitutions for example lycurgus and solon did both of the lacedaemonian constitution i have already spoken as to solon he is thought by some to have been a good legislator who put an end to the exclusiveness of the oligarchy emancipated the people established the ancient athenian democracy and harmonized the different elements of the state according to their view the council of areopagus was an oligarchical element the elected magistracy aristocratical and the courts of law democratical the truth seems to be that the council and the elected magistracy existed before the time of solon and were retained by him but that he formed the courts of law out of the citizens thus creating the democracy which is the very reason why he is sometimes blamed for in giving the supreme power to the law courts which are elected by lot he is thought to have destroyed the non-democratic element when the law courts grew powerful to please the people who were now playing the tyrant the old constitution was changed into the existing democracy ephialtes and pericles curtailed the power of the areopagus pericles also instituted the payment of the juries and thus every demagogue in turn increased the power of the democracy until it became what we now see all this is true it seems however to be the result of circumstances and not to have been intended by solon for the people having been instrumental in gaining the empire of the sea in the persian war began to get a notion of itself and followed worthless demagogues whom the better class opposed solon himself appears to have given the athenians only that power of electing to offices and calling to account the magistrates which was absolutely necessary for without it they would have been in a state of slavery and enmity to the government all the magistrates he appointed from the nobles and the men of wealth that is to say from the pentacosio medimni or from the class called zugitiae or from a third class of so-called knights or cavalry the fourth class were laborers who had no share in any magistracy mere legislators were seleucus who gave laws to the epizephron locrians and charondas who legislated for his own city of catana and for the other chalcidian cities in italy and sicily some people attempt to make out that onomocritus was the first person who had any special skill in legislation and that he although a locrian by birth was trained in crete where he lived in the exercise of his prophetic art that thales was his companion and that lycurgus and zeleucus were disciples of thales as charondas was of zeleucus but their account is quite inconsistent with chronology there was also philolaus the corinthian who gave laws to the thebans this philolaus was one of the family of the bacchiadae and a lover of diocles the olympic victor who left corinth in horror of the incestuous passion which his mother halcyone had conceived for him and retired to thebes where the two friends together ended their days the inhabitants still point out their tombs which are in full view of one another but one is visible from the corinthian territory the other not tradition says the two friends arranged them thus diocles out of horror of at his misfortunes so that the land of corinth might not be visible from his tomb 
Philidaus, that it might. This is the reason why they settled at Thebes, and so Philidaus legislated for the Thebans, and, besides some other enactments, gave them laws about the procreation of children, which they call the laws of adoption. These laws were peculiar to him, and were intended to preserve the number of the lots. In the legislation of Carondas there is nothing more remarkable, except the suits against false witnesses. He is the first who instituted denunciation for perjury. His laws are more exact and more precisely expressed than even those of our modern legislators. Characteristic of Thales is the equalization of property, of Plato, the community of women, children, and property, the common meals of women, and the law about drinking, that the sober shall be masters of the feast, also the training of soldiers to acquire by practice equal skill with both hands, so that one should be as useful as the other. Draco has left laws, but he adopted them to a constitution which already existed, and there is no peculiarity in them which is worth mentioning, except the greatness and severity of the punishments. Pittacus, too, was only a lawgiver, and not the author of a constitution. He has a law which is peculiar to him, that if a drunken man do something wrong, he shall be more heavily punished than if he were sober. He looked not to the excuse which might be offered for the drunkard, but only to expediency, for drunken more often than sober people commit acts of violence. Androdamus of Regium gave laws to the Chalcidians of Thrace, some of them relate to homicide and to heiresses, but there is nothing remarkable in them. And here let us conclude our inquiry into the various constitutions which either actually exist or have been devised by theorists. End of Book 2, Sections 11 and 12 Recording by Jennifer, Hilo, Hawaii End of Politics by Aristotle Translated by Benjamin Jowett